Welcome to the Kickstarter Journeys podcast brought to you by Fundamental Games. Each episode will provide you with some insight and opinions about successfully funded Kickstarter projects from the creators themselves. Here's your host, Wes Woodbury, ready to learn about another successful journey from the popular crowdfunding platform. Enjoy! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kickstarter Journeys. Today we have with us Matthew Hawker. He is the creator of a game called Composition Cacophony of Words, if I pronounce that right. How are you doing today, Matthew? I am doing wonderful. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, especially since I get a chance to talk to you. Creator of another awesome Kickstarter. You made this actually, it's over a year ago now, but I came across you when I was trying to find a place to playtest a game I've been working on. And you actually host a really cool thing that I'd like to talk about later. Uh, but we'll first talk about your game a bit. So uh, Composition, a Cacophony of Words raised over $11,000 on Kickstarter US on a budget of 10,000 back in March of last year. You had over 150 backers and first game creation and campaign to the to the public world. So congratulations on that to start with. Thank you so much. Uh, it was definitely a journey. Yeah. And so um, how did this journey start? Like, Where did you figure out that Kickstarter even existed or that you could make a game and other people would buy it even though it didn't exist yet? Um, you know, I I had I think my, my game design journey started with fiddling with other games, uh, and and it sort of evolved from there. Um, I used to home like you know make home rules for uh, all sorts of different games as I played them, and uh, my my wife and I used to play a lot of word games. In fact, we still do, and so word games became a focus of interest for me. She would constantly destroy me at Scrabble, and I started to learn about the history of Scrabble and how it came to be and all of the tactics in Scrabble and things like that. And as I learned that, I started fiddling with my own word game designs as well, especially as I started getting into paperback and we started exploring other word games as well. Um, and sort of some of the things that really inspired me, I really wanted to make an, sort of an asymmetric start word game where every player sort of takes the role of, or has different letters to start with, and but they also yeah. have them constantly. So they always have like a foundation. Um, and I guess over time, I just kind of kept fiddling with it. I, I I kind of always had the idea of Kickstarter in my mind, but I, I tend to be someone who struggles with long-term goals. Uh, short-term goals are really important for me. So while I think I had a dream of Kickstarter, it was much more important for me to just kind of take it step-by-step step initially, especially since I had no idea what I was doing to start. Yeah, it can be quite intimidating to take it from start to finish, particularly if you're doing what you did in kind of independent publishing. You got to find somebody in, usually in China, to make it, find somebody to ship it, find somebody to, to support your graphic design or your artist. Um, so, yeah, a, a lot of work that you put in your hands, but you got through it. You got past many steps that most people stumble at. I actually really like the art that you brought forth, and I noticed that you found a local artist um, from Maryland. Actually, how did you run into her? Uh, so actually, the, the team I worked with for composition, I, I fortunately have known for a long time. Uh, we've all sort of bounced back and forth helping with independent projects over the course of years. And uh, I think that was a major factor in me being able to get this done. Uh, Olivia Rahm is the character illustrator for composition. She's been doing mission work for a long time outside of her regular day-to-day -day job. And I think she's pretty good at it. Uh, one of my uh, important things when I do game design, I like making games that are kind of cute and fun and really bright and colorful. And that's yeah. also the kind of content she makes. And so it, we worked very well together in terms of creating the the character art and how we wanted them to be and what we wanted them to look like. Yeah, it comes across very, uh, definitely follows that cute, colorful, 
um, impactful. Uh, and I love that bonus character that you unlocked as well. Um, the, the secret maestro or whatever, mystery maestro. <laughs> so just as, as sort of a background and composition, every character has three letters that they start with, uh, representative yeah. by what they are. So if you're the cat maestro, you get the letters C, A, and T. Every maestro gets two consonants and one vowel. A lot of playtesters really wanted a character that was wild um, in terms of having like a random set of letters similar to your start in Scrabble and other word games. And I couldn't right. figure out how to make it work with the balance. And so I ended up realizing that if I gave them a fourth letter, no other powers, it worked pretty well. And it ended up being pretty fun, too. Awesome. Yeah, and I never really described the game. I guess it's a character-driven word spelling game where players take the role of incredible maestros conducting performances to become the greatest composers of all. And using those uh, letter formations, they compose words throughout the game to try to earn the most points. So you put together that quite well. And you came up with a, a pretty high funding goal for a first-time creator of 10000 uh, but you managed to achieve it. So uh, how did you establish your budget? Um, so my budget really was just established by the factory that I worked with. I did work with Panda GM. Uh, uh, I, I had contacted a couple other factories, but... A lot of my research sort of showed that you're, the factory that you work with can have an influence on backer support uh, and also quality of product following the Kickstarter. Um, I, I knew that I wanted to sort of have I, – I really wanted to play with the business side of this because it's something that I had not really explored before and I really wanted to learn. Um, I, I kind of recognized going in all of the, the horror stories that can come through a Kickstarter and – uh, underfunding and or, or rather like, you know, having a goal that's too low for yourself and, you know, having right. to make up your funds, all that kind of stuff, all all the different stories. But I I knew that I wanted to play with it. And I knew that if I uh, if I budgeted carefully, uh, I, I, I would be able to make the best of it. And I also really wanted I had a high unit count. So composition funded. It was a, a unit of uh, 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 1500 units total uh, that, that came yeah. with that. And so it's been a lot of play following the Kickstarter learning how to navigate the business side of that yeah it's it's a challenge because you you want to produce enough so that you get the best bang for your buck when you are spending all that money overseas but then now you have what 1350 games that you had to deal with since february yes. when you delivered so you had to figure out probably retailers that might want to buy it how much to charge them um if there's a way to promote it and market it and still sell it at full price so you don't disappoint kickstarter backers like a lot goes into it after you get the Kickstarter done that maybe people don't know about until they get to that point. A hundred percent. So do you still it, have uh, games of composition available for sale if anybody's interested? I do. Yes, uh, that is something that that is true. Uh, it is available at a variety of independent game stores. I'm still working on uh, increasing that number, but I, I've I've really had a fantastic time trying to build relation, working to build relationships with like uh, friendly local game stores, especially. Um, right. I I live in the D.C. area, and so. We have a game store called Labyrinth Games. Kathleen is the owner of that. She is amazing. Yeah, uh, uh, Jesse from Crackalope speaks of her quite often. Yes, uh, she she is just incredible to the community there um, in this in this area. And so uh, I've I've always been very supportive of them to the best of my abilities. And they, and they've re they're really supportive to their local designers. And so this is a mini shout out, but also like I think that was a big part of the journey for me is sort of realizing that this community of game designers and stores and players and play testers and so on and so forth, it's all, it's all very together um, in a way that I have not seen in other industries that I have been a part of, uh, even other creative industries. It's all like the network of everyone, despite different roles, is, is very fulfilling and very unique. Yeah, there's no other business quite like it and where everybody actually does want you to succeed because in other businesses, 
sometimes you can pry information out of people that'll help you. But in this business, everybody just really wants to give it to you. The good or the bad or the ugly, they'll tell you. And then as long as you are willing to listen, you can learn from it. 100%. Now, uh, you did mention that you may have had some local support there. So you actually had 42% of your backers were first-time backers, which is very high. Um, I follow these trends um, in my nerdy way. Uh, most Kickstarters don't even get past 10% of that. So how do you think, what do you think influenced that for that many first-time backers? Was it local or was it, uh, did you reach out to music or word game-based communities? Uh, so, you know, I, I think it was a mix of, of board game communities and also my own networking and outside communities as well. I think one of the things about uh, that I've, I've come, kind of realized about making a board game, and especially with local, um, I, I should back up. What when I was when I was promoting the Kickstarter and when I was sort of demoing the game, I went to a lot of local conventions um, uh, in my area. There's a convention called MAGFest uh, that is a music and gaming convention. However, one of the most interesting parts about this convention is that they have sort of a very large board game segment. Um, this this convention spoils their game designers. The uh, <laughs> If you are an independent publisher, they get you a free table, which is essentially a booth. You can sell your game. Uh, you can, it, and it's all for free. And they even, they almost give you money. It's really, it's really weird. They'll give you these mag coins that you can yeah. give to play testers. And it's like in, uh, it's it's currency that you they can spend at the convention. Um, and so it's that that has spoiled me compared to other 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 cons that I've been to. But the benefit of of that convention in general and other smaller conventions that may not have a large focus on board games, but they do have like a board game segment or a tabletop area, is that everything in the tabletop area comes off as more unique. Uh, I, I think one of the things that sort of helped me in that sense and and I felt was better there than at larger tabletop conventions is because I was such an unknown. Um, in tabletop conventions, I, I felt more of just like a number of tons of people, especially at something like PAX Unplugged, which were just packed. Uh, yeah. But at something like MAGFest, there are less tabletop designers, so there's more opportunity to shine. Um, and so I, I would probably say that that large percentage of local backers came from uh, local smaller conventions that I kind of went to and demoed and, and networked and built an email list off of and so on and so forth. Yeah, it's a good foundation to to build from, and it looks like it paid off for you. Really good, and that might attribute to why um, a lot of your backers are from U.S. too, because quite often it's anywhere from 55 to 60 percent might be U.S. backers, but uh, yours was closer to 88 percent, so you must have had just that local support or that uh, local advertising or U.S.-based advertising. Even though you were EU and Canada-friendly, that just ended up most of your backers came from U.S. Yes. Well, and you did get a couple of stretch goals. I noticed, um, I think you unlocked two of them on your way through. Did you plan to do more later on or were you being um, being cautious about stretch goals because they cost money? Stretch, you, so stretch goals were, were I, I've always had mixed feelings on stretch goals, both as a back, uh, backer of Kickstarters and as well as a someone that made a Kickstarter. Um, I was not a big fan of doing stretch goals personally. Uh, However, a lot of folks recommended them to me. Um, for me, I, I really envisioned the game as it was. It was done. I, I felt confident in what it was. And with stretch goals, there, there are certain stretch goals involving materials and things like that. And I thought those were, were fun to do. Um, but re regarding my stretch goals, uh, so admittedly, it shows two. I only hit the first one. We unlocked the second one to sort of visualize it so people could see what it is. Um, okay. my, my research with stretch goals sort of... Uh, informed me that you don't want to show all of your stretch goals. You want to yeah. keep some of them hidden 
So as you kind of navigate through, play, uh, folks can focus on individual ones. I think because my, however, I think because the majority of my audience time backers on Kickstarter platforms, stretch goals may not have been as significant for them. Um, and so I, I don't think they were a driver for me as often as they might be for other Kickstarters, especially as a, a first-time creator uh, making a, a word game uh, in particular. Uh, that said, I, I, th I think the first stretch goal did excite people. People really, especially folks that had played the game a lot, they really wanted a character that had um, a sort of random letters to start, which is what this character was. Uh, they yeah. also really wanted a solo mode, which I was going to reveal toward the end anyway. Uh, but it ended up being a really nice tie-in toward this to this eleven maestro because they are the the main character of the solo mode. Nice, I like that. And maybe um, you you don't have a ton of advertising in your campaign. I think you had one kind of reviewer previewer. So what kind of other efforts beyond the conventions did you use during your campaign? To us, did you have any other video or podcast content, or were you just relying on word of mouth? Um, so I actually, we, we sent the game out to, I sent the game out to five reviewers total, I believe. Um, and the, um, I sent it out to three previewers, uh, yep. and then also girls game shelf who did a preview for me as well. Uh, they were fantastic. They did all of that last minute. That was a, uh, really welcome opportunity from them. Um, girls game shelf did a video we had, um, let's see here. Uh, I'm looking at uh, Michael Wright of Unfiltered Gamer, Rick White of One Board Family as well. Uh, both did previews. Uh, but oh. for the most part, those those were the, the only three that were featured on the Kickstarter. It's very expensive to make a, uh, especially as, as a first-time creator, to make sort of mock copies um, uh, of a game. And so I, I wasn't able to send it to as many folks as I would have liked at the time. Yeah, and I didn't see uh, Unfiltered Gamer on your page, so it's good to know that you had a couple other in there, even if they're not on the page now, that they were part of kind of the awareness stage of things. They're very costly to pay some of those people to do them and to produce the prototypes themselves, yes. um, depending on what manufacturer you use. Some of them are willing to make them for you uh, with kind of uh, less quality components just to get your prototypes off the ground. Some of them will not make them at all, and some people produce them through um independent companies like GameCraft or, or makes playing cards or stuff like that i've tried all different varieties and it's a challenge every time even when you've done it <laughs> several times already so. yes cool and you had um your artist also do some special compositions for um, the magnificent maestro pledge i think you had 10 people back that did you have any challenge trying to put together cards with specific characters or was it just artwork for mechanics you already had in play um, it was, I, so I, uh, I was, I was very upfront with the folks that I worked with for that pledge. I was like, you know, I will put in, I, if you want me to make the ability, I will make the ability. I have a variety of, of sort of abilities that didn't make the cut that are pretty spicy. If you're looking to do your own thing though, I will put it in, but be warned. Uh, it may not be play tested to the extremes that other <laughs> characters might have, but a lot of folks had fun with that. Um, I, I, I was actually really pleased with that. I, I think that again, that sort of came from a lot of that local support. Um, a lot of folks in the area really wanted to help drive a local game. And so uh, that was really fun to do. They were a lot of fun. We had some very zany characters. I think one of the one of the maestros was uh, an ape holding a banana, which I thought for some reason was just the funniest to me ever. I don't know why I didn't think of that for the regular game. Um, yeah. But yeah, there, there was, that, those were those were a lot of fun. I think those were surprising to me as interesting drivers because I, I didn't expect that to take place. And it was very... Uh, humbling to have that support from folks 
Yeah, I've, I've heard that from quite a few creators where if they introduce that personalization tier where you'll put art for them in a game, uh, it gives them, even though it might cost more than you'd ever think anybody would pay, people are interested in paying it to show support to you while still getting something special that uh, nobody else really gets. Like there's not many games people have that they can say they're in it. So it's a nice offering that you had there if you're able to make it work with the game that you're doing. Yeah, uh, I will say that those those weren't... Um... With, with that tier specifically, the, those cards that I made were were exclusive for them. So they didn't make the final game, but they did make it to the individual backers. So they were separate cards produced individually. Okay. So when they play the game, their copy, they've got that card, but nobody else does. Exactly. Which is still cool. Nothing wrong with that. Yes. Now you talked about playtesting, and um, you are part of, of a very um, active playtesting group. It's called the, let me just see, the board break my game. Is that what it's called? Yes. I just see BMG and I was trying to remember what the acronym. So break my game. You have a discord channel that you're part of. Uh, you're actively involved. You play test your games as well as other people's games multiple times a week. And um, when I found this group, I thought, no, nah, it's probably too good to be true. I'll put my game up there and I might get one person that might play a quarter of a game and leave. But um, actually the two times that I've put my game up, you guys have found people to play it. You've given fantastic feedback. I've been able to play other people's games, including your own. Um, and just uh, it's really awesome, the community that you're building up with this. So just wanted to call that out and see if you had any thoughts you wanted to share about, you know, how long has this group been in existence and if you have anything you want to share about it. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, um, you know, first of all, major shout out to Daniel Palmer and, uh, and Joseph. Uh, both of them are incredible forces uh, who kind of helped put this together. Um, and you know, Joseph, I forgot your last name. It's, uh, Joseph Frederick, excuse me. Uh, but uh, yeah, Daniel, Daniel actually had made break my game probably about five or six years ago in the, uh, local scene. Um, so he was very active in the, uh, DC Northern Maryland, uh, North Maryland area near college park. Um, yep. and that's actually where I found it. Uh, I had seen, I, I saw an advertisement for break my game for like local, some local game shop. I ended up going, I thought it was really cool. Um, actually, the first time I, I play tested, I play tested with uh, Elizabeth Hargrave uh, and uh, game for the first time in the public space, which is pretty neat. Um, and, fantastic. Yes, uh, that was before Wingspan had come out, and so I had, I had, I, to be frank, a lot of the designers there, I, I it felt like another world to me. I, I was very intimidated initially because it was like my first step into this environment. Um, and I, I was very fortunate about how welcoming it was um, in terms of the feedback and the communication and and sort of listening to other people's stories. But yeah, uh, Daniel had run Break My Game on the live space and over the last year due to everything going on, um, I know that he really wanted to just sort of do it more in the online environment. And I kind of worked with Joseph to sort of help coordinate that and get that started. I think that especially with something like Discord these days and and just the need of, of designers to have playtesters, it's so important to sort of have that collaborative community where everyone's giving feedback to each other. Um, and that was something that I, I really enjoyed in the live space as well, and I, I really wanted to see in an online space. A lot of the designer forums out there are, are sort of like, you'll, you'll see these ghost town threads of designers asking for playtesters yeah, exactly. and no one responding to anything. Um, and I, I just did not enjoy that and I didn't want to participate in that. And so I, I knew going into this, that we had to build an environment that was going to be collaborative, welcoming and, and friendly, um, and always supportive. Uh, the, the goal is for my, my, my goal and my mindset here is that I want everyone to succeed to the best of their abilities. 
Um, and I want to support them when I give that feedback. And even if it's super critical, the goal is that hopefully that guides them to where they want to go. And I, I've loved it. I, I think I've done more play testing over the last year than I ever did in person outside of uh, playing with family or, or, or close ones where I, where I see them relatively often. And I think a lot of that is just because this online space, it's so easy to, to, to set up. A, well, it's relatively easy to set up a game. <laughs> And um, it's it's a bit easier to iterate. You're, you don't have to print things out constantly. You don't have to cut stuff. You just are copying and pasting in information, essentially. Yeah, I mean, you guys are running for days a week, um, depending on your time frame. It could be afternoon or evening. And um, I, I don't know how many people you have in the group, but literally when I scroll through, there are probably hundreds. I, I, I don't know how to do an info check on Discord channels, but it looks pretty big and you've got all kinds of discussions. You've even got a an active rulebook exchange going on right now. So just really uh, interesting what you guys have been able to put together here. And I highly recommend, um, first off, uh, contribute back and play test somebody else's game, but then uh, see if you can get, you know, for those creators listening and struggling to find a place to get play testers, especially this year with the um, social distancing and isolation process, um, uh, really reach out to this community and see if you can get involved. Uh, I'd love it. So that's good. And you've been playtesting another game. Uh, that one is called, um, let me see if I can remember. <laughs> I'm already struggling with words, so I'll let you speak of it. Yeah, uh, The the so I, I'm working on several games, but the, the next one I'm hoping to bring to Kickstarter is called Bittersweet. Um, it is a, a two to four player game. It used to be just two players, but we're, we're opening up to two to four players. Uh, uh, two to four player game about sort of collecting your favorite chocolates and avoiding chocolates that you find yucky, uh, which change from round to round. It's supposed to be sort of a a very quick game that involves very light memory, a lot of card drafting and sort of set collection. Um, all of these things kind of change from round to round because the sets you're most you're you're eyeing for will be determined by your yum and yuck cards. And so it, it can basically makes one card in a round where you think is really great be not so great in another round because it could potentially be hurting your score if you end up finding it yucky. Uh, in addition, it has chocolate covered vegetables, which are disgusting. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, but but sort of it's I've I've always enjoyed when someone picks up a chocolate covered vegetable and they're like what on earth no and so it leads to a lot of uh, fun moments there. Yeah, it's very thematic to the yuck for sure. And yes. um, you actually um, it was the other day I was playtesting with this you, this with you, uh, but after two hours of you playtesting other people's games, you still have the time to playtest your own game. So it's really impressive. Uh, and again, this was all uh, based on the Break My Games Discord chat group um and you got some good uh plays in there it was colorful it was fast to learn it was um all the rules made sense to me and the mechanics of what i was doing were very legitimate and i felt like i had control over my fate trying to match up my yums and my yucks and my um strawberries and my coatings and all the things so i think you've got a little hidden gem there um when you do uh roll that out whether it's later this year or, or sorry later next year um, I think you'll have a, a little hit with that to follow up your composition. So pretty sweet, uh, pun intended. <laughs> yeah, hopefully it's not bitter. Hopefully it's just the sweet <laughs> part of uh, a bittersweet. But yes, I, I'm I'm really excited about it. I I you know admittedly I I feel more nervous about my second Kickstarter than my first Kickstarter, and I think part of it is is because in this era of social distancing, it, it's been a, a much different world of sort of building up attention and hype and. Everything is in an online space. Uh, I'm a massive extrovert. 
And so navigating uh, public spaces and venues as a sort of someone who's had a lot of public speaking experience and someone who's sort of, you know, been through those different worlds, it feels very comfortable for me. Uh, the online space, despite being someone who enjoys communicating and, and is very active in, in game design communities, uh, or at least I, I like to think I am, um, it, it, it feels like a different world. And it, it's, it's, I'm, I'm almost, a, well, I am nervous about going into the second Kickstarter without having a similar path that I took before. So I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes and what I can learn from it. Um, I, I tend to be a believer that, you know, um, in, I think this is a mantra in the game design community in general. Failure is not an end. It is it is a lesson that sort of leads you to success um, as you sort of navigate that. Uh, but I, I'm, I'm really interested to see how how it works and sort of, you know, kind of some of the, the different barriers that I'm going to come across as I prep for a Kickstarter this year or next year, rather. Yeah, and a year and a half or two years between Kickstarter um, is actually more like 10 years because everything changes so, so fast uh, with technology, with graphic design, with uh, the competition, with styles of games. Um, so it is gonna, it'll feel very, very different than it probably did last March when you launched the yeah. game. I uh, you know I feel I think the biggest change that I've seen I started seeing I I started seeing it when I when I did the Kickstarter for composition but it feels more prominent than ever the 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 push to fund your Kickstarter within the first 24 to 48 hours um, is is massive uh, I that that in particular is is interesting to me I I remember seeing one thread online where someone said if you don't fund in the 48 at for the first 48 hours you are, are probably going to fail, which was disheartening. And I'm not sure if I believe that, but I, I understand where it's coming from, I suppose. Uh, but I, 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 would, I, would not, uh, I would not let that discourage someone, though, if they did not fund within the first 48 hours. It is, it is extraordinarily difficult, especially for a first project, to just, um, just zoom right out of the gate and just have a massive success. Yeah, and, and you would have, from your experience, know that um, you pushed it right to the end, right? I think in your first five days, you hit that 5,000 mark, but then um, you followed that traditional, really, really painful trend of not much going on for two weeks and then getting the rest at the last little bit. Yes. Uh, and, uh, unfortunately, a lot of follow games have to follow this trend because there's something about the middle where everybody's worried or playing with the new games at launch and don't care about the other games until they find out if they hit their goal or not at the end. Yes. Um, but you talked about that first 48 hours. Uh, there's two games I can mention to you that I've been following recently. One is called Wizards and Relics. They um, funded about, I don't know, 10 or 12 days into their campaign. Um, and then another one, which is ending, I think, tomorrow morning, is called Sea Rovers by Van Overbay. And he's uh, he's ran this one before and struggled. He had a really high goal, but he it wasn't until 36 hours remained that he hit that $25,000 funding goal. So it can wow. definitely happen. Well, fantastic. Yeah, it depends if your budget's realistic and if people are going to get what you um, claim they're going to get. Sometimes it'll all pull through in the end. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, I've, I've, I also would say that this is just from the background. I, I feel that I've backed more Kickstarters in this um, time than I ever have before, <laughs> and so yeah. I'm, I'm, I that of optimism as well for when I get on the other side again. Yeah, if everybody's uh, got the same behavior pattern as you, spending more money that we probably don't have, then uh, you should be fine. Yeah, exactly. But, um, so what did you? What is the single biggest learning you found from composition that you're going to apply to um, your next game then? Um, you know, this is actually uh, one. 
So here's the thing about factories that I sort of learned is that if you if you don't ask every question possible, um, something that you might miss, they will go to a default uh, in terms of what they normally do. Um, one of the things that I had was not a fan of with the final uh, result of composition is the the box, the way it was stored, was in a certain position where where the cards are. They push to, in the cent toward a center fold, and so for sometimes it would dip in a little bit. Which yeah. when you open the box, it's like, oh, my my centerfold is bent. You can bend it back, and it works fine. But it's this opening is the 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 aesthetic of opening the box for the first time. I I realize, oh my gosh, I didn't even think of that. I didn't think of that as as a concept. Um, but there, there's a lot of little bits and bobs that you sort of can't you don't even think are a thing and, until you get the the final product in terms of what it is, and you're like, oh, that's that's a thing. That's a thing that I, I should have considered. Um, yeah. I had a, I had a master checklist of all the different questions I wanted to ask. And uh, working with Pan the GM was fantastic because I, I felt that while they I, I think they can be a little pricier than other um, other organizations for a first time publisher, they were able to answer all of my questions in a in a very quick way, and they were very patient with me as I stumbled constantly and kind of had to figure out different things or change something up or realize, oh no, my initial box is too big. It needs to be much smaller and sort of uh, figuring out how I want to do those things. Um, I would say all of that said, the most important thing that you can do is ask a lot of questions and be be patient with yourself. Um, this is not a race. It is okay to take your time. Uh, it is it is okay to research. It is okay to uh, to give yourself space to sort of figure these things out. Um, I think that Kickstarter in general and, and sort of a lot of the, this path that we go on can feel like a, a lot of pressure and a rush. Uh, don't don't ever rush. Don't ever rush yourself. Be sure to take time to make sure that you're confident and that you feel confident in what you're doing. And also, in addition to that, if you make a mistake, it's okay. Uh, there's always going to be mistakes. I, I don't think I've ever read a rule book that didn't have an error of some sort. Um, and it's just, it's just, the, it's just the way of the game and it's, it's, it's going to happen. Um, there's going to be a little tiny thing that you didn't think about that is going to go wrong and that is okay. Uh, most people will never notice it, just you, and it will haunt you day and night, but <laughs> that's okay. Just, just drink some water and you'll be all right. Some great words of wisdom from a master of words, a wordsmith, Mr. Matthew. Um, I do like your comment about the box. I mean, I, I think back to when I made my first game and I, I cheaped out on the insert cause I, the funding goal didn't get as high as I wanted it to. I couldn't afford the insert I thought the game deserved, so I went with cardboard, and I regret that decision to this day. Um, so any game I make going forward, it's going to have a plastic insert, whether it uh, costs an extra 10% or not, because the game deserves it. And like you said, uh, you don't want to open the box and just see components everywhere or cards mm -hmm. turned away. You don't want them. You want to open it and see it the way you want it to be opened. It's kind of like... Um, the intro to a movie or a TV show. You want it to, to look visually presenting when you picked up that lid. 100%. Right on. And oh, so you play a lot of games online. You play games, I presume, with your family or with friends at home. Uh, what is your favorite style of game or what kind of games have helped you learn to do what you do? You know, I, I, I tend to not design games that I consider to be my favorite games and part of it, in, which seems kind of funky, but uh, I would say that in general, the, the the folks that I play with tend to like lightweight to lightweight medium style uh, medium light games, um, and I enjoy those games a lot. Uh, but they tend to not be the games that I kind of envisioned myself making initially. I kind of thought I was going to make games that were these sort of 
more dense root-esque games that I kind of wanted to dive into. But I, I, I felt also, especially as a first-time publisher and sort of navigating it, I wanted to play the games that I could get to the table the most. And lighter games are very easy for me to get in front of a lot of folks very quickly. And they're also very easy for me to iterate. Um, I, I think it's also worth mentioning that what what is cool about lightweight games is that you can sort of take from them and implement them into heavier games later on. As I sort of learned, especially if you kind of find something you like or a, a certain flow that you enjoy, you can kind of sort of take off some of the pieces and, and put them in something else, which is always really nice. But in general, I, I think what has determined the games I make are the people that I play with, uh, frankly. Like, if I'm able to get a game to the table, that's the game I'm probably going to focus on more often than not, uh, especially if I have a good idea of what that audience is. Uh, Composition had a really strong focus on couples and families, and so I was able to get that game to the table for those groups most often. Um, And so I really wanted to hone in on that. Uh, Bittersweet, especially in this era, is very much, again, focused on smaller groups and quick play. I wanted it yeah. to be lightweight, colorful, and kind of soothing, I suppose. I, I, especially with everything going on, I, I, kinda, I didn't want to go toward a, a direction with something more dense or darker or deeper or, or that required a lot of thought. I, I really wanted something that you can just put out and you can relax and it's kind of goofy and you can just you just enjoy it. Um, and I, I before bittersweet i had planned on doing a five to ten player hidden role game um and that is shelved for the time being uh given everything because i I didn't i didn't feel it worked well in the current era and it was also very difficult to play test yeah and especially online there's certain types of games i've got a game that's similar where if you put in a component where you're going to look at somebody's hidden hand or hidden card or try to tell something that's on their face obviously you can't do that this year nearly as much so uh, I can see those games really taking a dive for a year or two and then coming back in full force once the world has been unleashed again. Yes, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you spending some time with me, Matthew. Your game composition and your ability to to launch it and fund it uh, in 2019 and then deliver it in February of 2020, I think um, shows a lot of your skill and talent. And I'm looking forward to seeing what you do with Bittersweet in the spring, summer this coming year. It'd be nice to look forward to if anybody wants to fine composition i'll put a link to um, a purchase site in the show notes here i'll also put a link to the game group that we were talking about break my games because i think it's really worth checking out even if you don't have a game that you've built on tabletop simulator Um, one of the best ways i've found to learn about how to make games is play other people's games that they've just made and see what did they do well and what did they really need to fix Um, because you might find that your game has the same problems so um, check those out in the links and any last words of wisdom there, Matthew? Uh, honestly, Wes, thank you for having me on today. I really appreciate it. I, I just want to say to all, all folks out there, you know, if, if you're, if your dream is to make games, if you want to do it, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, just make sure, have fun with it. That's the most important thing. Have fun with it. Uh, be willing to learn, be willing to goof up. It's okay. Uh, enjoy yourself. This is, um, this is work as much as it is, uh, hobby and enjoyment and and community building and networking and all these different things and it's 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 honestly to me it's one of the most beautiful things I've been a part of uh, especially with the design community it's just an incredible force um, I I highly encourage it uh, if you don't check out Break My Game check out like a local game design community especially as things kind of start opening up and going back to the norm uh, there's a lot of great opportunities just to explore and sort of see what you can come up with uh, I w- will love would love to play test your game as well. So if you do come to break my game, let me know. I'm down to play. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Matthew. You have a wonderful day. You too. Have a great one.